One more time, I think it's appropriate if we would just clap our hands like we really mean it. Like what I feel in the house of God here today. Amen. This is Resurrection Sunday, and sitting straight in front of me is Brother Ronnie Parker. Ronnie, it's good to see you. We haven't seen you in church in a long, long time. And so it's good to see you in the house of God here today. Along with everybody else, there's many, many guests. We welcome you, and uh, we hope you enjoy what we're feeling in the house of God today. The presence of the Lord. I'm thankful for his presence and his goodness. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read verse 55. Brother Casey in his scripture reading started in an earlier part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But we will start at verse number 55. And I'm going to take some verses out of order to emphasize something. So what we're going to do is read verse 55 through 57, and then we're going to go back to 54. But we'll start this morning with verse number 55. Praise God. If you have it, say amen. Praise God. If you're happy, say amen. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. <laughs> Praise God. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 54, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in Victory! I feel victory in the house of God today. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, GBFPC, I know that we have guests and family members and what have you, but we're here to have church. Praise God. And so don't let the day become just a traditional day without the energy and passion in the day. And so what I'm asking you to help me do today is celebrate the goodness of God. Praise God. I want to walk in victory and strength and anointing today. I need it. I need it today. Praise God. We'll be honest with you today. We need the power and the victory of God's resurrecting power in our lives today, this day, this day. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. So for a few moments here today, I want to preach on this subject. The day death died. The day death died the day death died the day death died praise God Lord we thank you and praise you we worship you we ask that you would direct us strengthen us from your word today in Jesus name we pray Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. Death is personified in many different ways, and people try to get their heads wrapped around what it is and how it affects us, and there's no real way of knowing that. And so history 
in different groups and different parts of the world, depending on where you are, and different religions and faith have come up with trying to personify death. That's why we get things like the boogeyman and Dracula and mutated monsters and zombies and man-eating werewolves. These are just a few of the mythical creatures that man, humanity, has created to project its fears onto. I can remember growing up, it was the boogeyman. And uh, my cousin and I were talking about the boogeyman in front of a plate glass window. And I was rocking on a chair and my grandfather came in and said, stop rocking on that chair, son, because if that goes over, you could be hurt. And then he left. Well, we continued to talk about the boogeyman that was out there. And I went too far forward in the chair, went right through that plate grass, glass window. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you right now, I found out that the boogeyman was not out there. But the boogeyman was inside. Guess when my grandfather came around the corner and saw that? Uh, he was not very pleased, and my rear end still lives to tell the tale. <laughs> Praise God. You would have thought all the glass and everything would have scared him, but apparently not. He felt like there was discipline that was needed, and I've never forgotten that one. So I stopped talking about the boogeyman. Let's move on to other things. But death and the discussion of death ultimately is at the core of a lot of fears in humanity. And so we try to come up with these different personifications to put a face or to put a voice on what is counter, a counter force of life. And so we, we try to put some kind of image on it. And so there's, there's, there's a lot of them, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll go through just a few of them so that you understand what I'm talking about here. The most notable one and the most popular one is the Grim Reaper. He has an image of a skeleton. He's holding a scythe and he's riding a horse. Some of that may be connected to the book of Revelation because death is named as one of the four horsemen and uh, that horseman is coming to announce the last judgment. And so he is a harvester of souls symbolically. He's able to chop off someone's head with a single sway. He travels by horse. There are also, uh, during the age, the late medieval area of the Black Plague that killed nearly a third of the world's population, there was a genre that came to be called the dance macabre or the dance of death. And it personified death as skeletons that rose from their graves and literally joined each other living in some kind of weird dance that included death and life. The Greeks called Thanatos the son of the night. This was their personification of death, and he was mainly associated with a peaceful, gentle death. There's also in the East, in East Asia, that is more connected to Buddhism, Yama is is depicted as the Lord of death. And he is portrayed as having dark red or blue skin and travels by water buffalo, which kind of links him up to the grim reaper who rides on a horse. He carries a piece of rope, which comes in handy when he is busy retrieving the soul from the corpse. These are all personifications of death as humanity has tried some way to to figure out how this counterforce 
works to life. One of the female manifestations of death is the Mexican folk saint Santa Muerte, which is depicted as a skeleton dressed in a shroud decorated with feminine details like lace, flowers, and jewelry, and often carries a scythe and looks like the Grim Reaper's fancy sister. And that may seem kind of <clears throat> funny to us, but I was talking to my son <clears throat> who is pastoring in Rosarito, Mexico, who today is going to have a great Easter Sunday. Yesterday he had Bible studies. Today they're baptizing three on Easter in the ocean. So we're excited about that. <clears throat> Amen. That's exciting. So uh, I was talking to him, and he told me how to pronounce the Mexican folk saint, which I butchered the first time around uh, in my discussion with him, Santa Muerte. I, I may still be pronouncing it wrong, but I guarantee you I'm pretty close. And he was telling me that this is a real deal in Mexico. It's, a ro it's part of the Catholic religion, but the Catholic religion doesn't like it because it is a rogue thing. It's not one of their, they don't, want, they don't want Santa Muerte being a saint. And yet there is a, there is a huge following, a lot of devotees, and it has, she has her own shrine in downtown Mexico City where people come and pray and leave offerings. He said, this is what we deal with in Mexico because Santa Muerte is connected to the cartels. And because she is deaf, they pray to Santa Muerte for protection that's connected to the cartels. So when people are coming to church, you have to get their attention off of this God and focused on the right God. Not a God of death, but the right God of life. But because they have it connected to protection and it's all wrapped up in the fabric of society and life, it's very, very difficult to break that barrier to get them to walk away from what they think is bringing them comfort and peace. I just want to say here in the house of God today, I'm thankful that the comforter, Jesus said, I'm going to send you the comforter. I'll be a comfort to you, a strength to you, a spirit of truth, and that is the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for the Spirit of God, hallelujah, that is operating in my life. So these are different personifications of death. And the summary point to make here is that there is an inclination of humanity to try to relate and to deal with death, put some kind of personification on it to figure out how it is a counter force to life. I want to speak to you in the house of God here today by way of introduction. I know I'm talking about death, but I'm really talking about life. We need to recognize and figure out who's greater, who's more powerful, who's more sovereign, who can step in in a, a moment's notice and pull us out of situations that feel like is under control of death and bring to us life and bring to us liberty and bring to us freedom. I'm glad here today I'm not coming to you talking about some kind of figure that's mythological that is going to choke the life out of you, but I'm coming to the house of God to declare to you today that there is a risen Savior and there is power in his hand and you can be delivered from the control of death. Hallelujah. 
to Jesus. Well, so if we go to the scripture to find out what is the biblical theological components of the same personifications and how to deal with death because it is a part of life and it covers every part of life. And so societies and culture and history are trying to come up with various ways to get a grip and a handle on it. You go to the Old Testament, you will find in the Old Testament that there is little, if any, understanding of the afterlife in the Old Testament. That is something that is more completed in the New Testament. Israel's neighbors, they had all kinds of elaborate rituals to fend off demons, ghosts, and gods associated with death and the underworld. And so around the Hebrews were nations that had all kinds of rituals, and yet the Hebrews were to take a different understanding of what death was. And so they didn't ignore it. They didn't... Um, they didn't uh, walk away from it, put it somewhere, suppress it, and sequester themselves from it, but their understanding was much different than the nations around them. They were not to be tolerant of any cult of the dead. We find this, Saul tries to conjure up the spirit of Samuel. This is not something that is positive. It is a negative connotation, and the cult of the dead was not to be in their religious worship. And so the main thing that had to do with death and the Hebrews was that life, life, everyone say life, life provides the opportunity for both the individual and the community to praise Yahweh, to praise God. You are given life so that you could praise God and the community would praise God. And when that was shut off or when that was silenced, then that is where death came in and silenced your opportunity to magnify the Lord. Praise of God was the sign of life. The inability to praise God was a signal of death even in life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, because we're an apostolic church, there's some truth to that because if you're in the house of God and you're praising God, that means life. But if you're in the house of God and you can't praise God, that's a sign of death. Praise God. That is why we're in the house of God today, lifting up our voice, clapping our hands, worshiping God. I've got breath to breathe. I've got the functionality of life. I'm not going to misuse it, but I'm going to use it. Everything I've got to give God praise and adoration and worship. Could somebody join with me in the house of God today and say, I'm moving and I'm breathing and therefore I'm giving God praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've got energy. I've got passion. I've got focus for the things of God. This is why I worship him. This is why I praise him. This was their thinking. This was their understanding. Death constitutes silence. And that major characteristic of life is to praise God. You say, well, give me some evidence. Okay, Psalm 30 and verse number 8. The psalmist says, I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. 
to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thee thanks unto thee forever. I don't want to be silent. I want to give God thanks forever as long as I've got breath to breathe. I might, might not be able to run and jump and have the intensity, but as long as I've got breath to breathe, I want to praise God and thank God and magnify God and worship God and give God glory because this is what brings life to me. It's a sign of life. It's a sign of life. We're in a church that has a sign of life. There are hands that are clapping that represents chains that have fallen off. There's leaping and dancing that represents being freed from a prison cell somewhere. It's life and life more abundantly. If God is in your life here today, you ought to lift up your voice and say, I'm here. I'm here. Count me in. Hallelujah. You can take attendance today in the house of God. I'm here worshiping God. was that the case in the psalmist it was also the case in the prophets Isaiah chapter 38 and verse number 18 for the grave cannot praise thee death cannot celebrate thee they that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth now let me just I don't want to veer too far off here but maybe to help you with the Old Testament understanding and mindset there was no there was no afterlife that was built. There was traces of it because Job, from the very beginning, said, I know I'm going to see my Redeemer live. He said, my Redeemer liveth. And at that day, I know that. But there was no, in the Hebrew forms of worship, there was no version of an afterlife or heaven. So when they talked about pit or going down into the grave, the word they're talking about there is Sheol. It means to be in a dark world separated from God. And so this was their kind of version, and you can kind of see this coming out in Isaiah. The grave can't praise ye. Death can't celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. So there was this, this priority that was placed that death is in the invasion of life. It brings silence. And so basically what you get out of the Old Testament is give God everything you've got while you can. That's the Old Testament. And then that shouldn't catch us by surprise. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Give God everything that you've got. Every bit that you can wring out of your life, give it to God. Hallelujah. I want to testify to that. 
You could give your energy to a lot of different stuff and the world can sap it all out of you. But what is better than to be in the house of God and say, God, use me as an instrument. Ring everything that you got out of me because I want to give you everything that I've got. I'm not going to be stingy with my life. I'm not going to be stingy with my praise. I'm not going to be distracted with it, but I'm going to focus on what you have richly done. I'm going to be involved in the kingdom of God. I'm going to do the work of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Death was an invasion of life. And so there, there are flashes that we get in the, in the scripture of reckoning, for example. I mean, death has a lot of power because there's, there's fear, there is anxiety, there's anger connected to it. It brings up a lot of these emotions. And so in the scripture, there are these little flashes of words and reckoning against death that you think you've got full control, but you don't really have full control. You're operating in that realm where it seems like you are sovereign and you have all the authority, but there's these little snapshots in Scripture, in the, even in the Old Testament, that says that death, you're not as powerful as you think you are. And we can look at these. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 17, Elijah, he's fleeing from Jezebel. He's had a contest on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, and he destroys them. God works a great victory. Jezebel writes a letter. He flees for his life into the desert. He finds himself by a brook. God feeds him with ravens and the water from the brook. But because there is a drought, the brook dries up. And so Elijah can't stay there. And so God says, I'm sending you to Zarephath. There is a widow there that's going to take care of you and feed you. She has but very, very little in a cruise of oil and a barrel of meal. And Elijah, when he shows up, he says, I want you to make me a meal. She said, this is all I've got. And if I give this to you, I'm going to die and my son is going to die. This is everything that we've got. And Elijah demands that. And he says, don't worry. The oil's not going to... Um, it's not going to run dry, and the barrel is not going to be empty. And so she feeds the man of God, and lo and behold, there is a miracle that takes place because the oil doesn't run dry, and the barrel is still running, and it is full, and there is, there is um, peace in the house. But in verse number 17 of chapter 17, it came to pass that the son fell sick, and there was no breath left into him. And so she says to Elijah... What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? You came to me, and now my son is dead. And so Elijah finds the son, stretches himself upon the child, who is in fact dead, and cries unto the Lord and says, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came unto him again, and he revived. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. So even in the Old Testament when death said, see, I can extinguish a life somehow God steps in through a prophet and revives the woman at Zarephath's son. And death has to at least accept the fact maybe I don't have full control over what I thought I had full control over. 
2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 18, Elisha, who was a mentor or the mentee of the mentor, Elijah, he happens to be passing by, and there's a family that recognized that's, that's the prophet. And so they did something very significant. They said, if he's going to pass by, let's make a bedchamber for him. And let's put a bed in it, and let's put a chair in it, and when he passes by, he has a place to stay. And so they built this chamber for Elisha, and because of that, Elisha was so thankful, he said, what is it that I can give you at, for gratitude? And the woman said, well, my, my husband is older, I do not have a child, and so Elisha says, by the word of the Lord, you're going to have a son, and she does, she, she has a son. But in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 18, when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said unto his father, my head, my head, and he said to the lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out and sent message to Elisha and said, the child that was promised to me is dead and he is on your bed in your chamber that we have created for you. Well, Elisha, when he gets the words, I mean, this is significant, right? Because he's invested in these people and these people have invested in him. This is not good news. He makes his way to the bedchamber and he goes in and he lays down on top of the child. He prays for the child and the child is revived. He brings the child back to the woman and, say, and says, here is your son. He yet lives. So Elijah, it happened. And in Elisha's case, it happens again. So death says, I'm able to extinguish life, but there is this flash of recognition that breaks through and says you're not in complete control. Praise God. Now Elisha dies and they buried him. <laughs> and a band of Moabites invaded the land and they came to pass when they were burying a man that they spied a band of men and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Now that's pretty significant. These Moabites are like, just throw that guy in there. And so they throw him in there, but they don't recognize that this is the tomb of Elisha. And it was Elisha that brought back to life the son that had died. And when that dead carcass hit the bones of Elisha, that man came crawling back up out of the grave and said, I don't know what's going on here, but there's something powerful down there. Death extinguished everything out of me, but there's something more powerful in the grave that has resurrected me. Praise God. Hallelujah. When death says, I've got control. When death says, I can silence. When death says, I can shut everything up. There's still a flash of recognition that death doesn't have complete control. There's a greater power. There's a greater authority. There's something that is more sovereign. The New Testament reveals to us that death does not appear to be God's 
part of God's original plan for the race of humanity. It says the wages of sin is death. First Corinthians says death came through a man. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin. So death is linked with God's judgment against sin. It's very, very powerful. And the Old Testament closes with no resolution except those flashes of resurrecting power that we've read about. Who has the power? Who has the authority? <laughs> Who has the ability to, to make it more than just a flash? Make it more than just a speck in an Old Testament record that there is something that is able to revive one from death. Who, who has that ability? Who has that strength? Who has that fortitude? <laughs> who, 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 who can carry that weight on his shoulders and say, I'm, I'm willing to go to battle with something that is very, very powerful, and I believe that I can accomplish the work. I can win the battle. I can win the fight because it seems like death is very, very powerful, and it shuts off and shuts out everything. Praise God. So who, who's able to do that? Well, imagine when Jesus comes and in his ministry, he starts going about teaching and there are situations that occur like Mark chapter 5 and verse number 39 when Jairus comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is sick at home nigh unto death. So Jesus begins to make his way to Jairus' house. And when he gets to Jairus' house, he comes in, in Mark chapter 5 and verse number 39, and this is what Jesus says. Now, let me just, hold on just a minute. I probably need to preface Jesus by saying this was not just another man, not just another traditional teacher. This was God manifested in the flesh because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is why Jesus could say, I am the resurrection, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the bread. When he says I am, he's speaking the same words that Yahweh spoke to Moses from a burning bush and said to Moses, you go tell Pharaoh the I am is sending you. And Jesus is saying I am connected to Yahweh that speaks to Moses. And the Jews said, hey, wait a minute, we're confused a little bit here. Who do you think you are? Our father is Abraham. And Jesus said to them before Abraham was, I am. What Jesus was saying is I am God manifested in the flesh. And so the Yahweh of the Old Testament becomes Jesus in the New Testament and he has the authority and the ability to speak that way. And so Jesus, when he comes into the house, he, <coughs> he says, why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. I mean, that's pretty bold, right? Who walks into a hospital room and says, eh, they're not dead, they're just sleeping. It's all right. They laughed him to scorn. He put them all out, and he entered in where she was lying, and he took her by the hand, and he said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted 
Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given to her to eat. When Jesus steps into the room and he faces death, he says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And he brings her to life. And so, so now we've moved from flashes of something that is coming. Now we're in the real match. We're in the real fight where Jesus is squaring off against the power of death. And he has the authority to say she's not sleeping or she is sleeping, she's not dead, and he brings her to life. Praise God. Jesus has that ability. Jesus has that authority. You know how? Because he is the I am. He's the God that gives life, and therefore if he gives life, he can give life at any time that he wants. When somebody dies, he can give life to that 12-year-old girl. I'm thankful that somebody entered into the equation called Jesus Christ of Nazareth that squared off against the devil and death and said, we're going to see this is going to be a throwdown contest. You've ruled, you've controlled, you've had power, but there's a new boss in town. Somebody new has just showed up here and things are starting to shake as the foundations of spiritual dimensions are starting to rattle as Jesus steps in on the scene. I want to preach to somebody. You may be in spiritual difficulties and death and decay, but I'm telling you that Jesus has the power and the ability to pull you out of your situation. Woo! Praise God. Come on, if you got a testimony, I was bound. I was conflicted. I was addicted. I was dead in sin and trespasses. But Jesus showed up. Hallelujah. Come on, let's thank him together. Death hasn't died yet, but death has taken some pretty harsh punches. That's a pretty, pretty hard blow when Jesus raised the damsel up and said, she just, she's just sleeping. Praise God. Well, in Luke chapter 7 and verse number 11, Jesus is going through a city called Nain, and many of his disciples are with him. He comes to the gate of the city. As he's standing at the gate of the city, they're carrying this dead man out of the city. And so the only son, he was an only son of the mother, and Jesus sees the mother, mother who was a widow. And there were a lot of people with her, and they were weeping. And he has compassion on her, and he says, weep not. <laughs> I mean, man, if you could just be in some places at the right time, at the right moment, and catch some of this. Like Jesus shows up to Nain at the gate of the city, and he stops because here comes this big procession. And they're weeping in, in uh, Jewish wedding ceremonies. They have professional weepers. So it's loud and boisterous, and all this is going on. And, and Jesus stops the whole procession, 
and he says, weep not. And he touches the coffin. And he says, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us and that God hath visited his people. Oh, yeah, God's visiting his people, all right. It is God visiting his people through the personage of Jesus Christ. The only manifestation that you'll ever see of God is in Jesus. You can't touch God because God's an eternal spirit. But you can touch Jesus. And Jesus was standing at the gate watching the procession go by. And he said, stop everything. And he speaks to the man faith. And the man comes up and he arises out of his situation. Praise God. You know why? Because there's power in Jesus. There's authority in Jesus. He's sovereign. He's able. Well, those are some interesting accounts. Probably the main one was Lazarus, who was one of Jesus' closest friends. And so he comes to, and this, and this part of it just, if you're in the event, you can't understand what in the world is going on with Jesus, and you could become very offended and Martha and Mary and those around him, even the disciples, probably had some offense when Jesus said, when he heard Lazarus was dead, he just, that's all right. He waits three days. I mean, if your friend's, uh, if your friend's not doing well, then you think you would, with speed and haste, make your way to where he is. And Jesus just kind of flippantly ignores it and says something cryptic. He said, this is going to be for the glory of God. And so when he, when he shows up, Martha and Mary, they're like, Jesus, if you would have been here three days ago. And Jesus comes to the grave, and he says, uh, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith, by this time, Lord, he stinks. He's been dead four days. Jesus said, said not I unto thee that thou, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. They took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Now, now I, however you want to describe it, all right? You, we, could, we could be gunslinging between Jesus and death. Or we could be fighting, whatever you want to call it. But death's taken some pretty hard punches. But this is probably one of the greatest so far. Because in Jesus' statement, let him go, Jesus is really honing in on death and saying, I, I know you've had control and power and ability, but I'm fixing to reveal to you something that this grave 
You're going to have to let the individual like Lazarus, you're going to have to let him go. You can't control him. You can't bind him. Get those grave clothes off of him. He's not going to live that way. He's coming up out of the grave with resurrecting power. Praise God. I'm thankful that Jesus has the ability to call Lazarus out of a grave. And just like Lazarus, I was in a grave. I didn't know if I'd ever get out of the grave. Death told me, you're never getting out of the grave. But I heard a voice. I heard a voice that said, Kevin Mark Bradford, come out of there. And when I came out with all the attachments of the world on me, Jesus said, let him go. Loose him and let him go. I'm thankful for freedom in the house of God today. Don't let him walk by himself. He came out of a prison cell because of the power that was in Jesus. Thank God for resurrecting power. Thank God for anointing. I don't know anything that's greater than death, but Jesus said, I'll conquer death. Loose him and let him go. The day death died, it's coming, it's coming, it's a hard blow. And death had to recognize and say, something's happening. Something's happening. Amen. As musicians come here this morning, and I give you hope that I'm finishing. Jesus obviously has the authority. You can be seated. Jesus obviously has the ability and the authority. But what happens when Jesus dies? <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to see a flash that's a blow to death in the Old Testament that is just a flash. It's another thing to see Jesus wrestle with death and win. What happens when Jesus dies? The disciples were confused. They thought it was over. The two on the way to Emmaus, they'd given up. They were walking away from Jerusalem when Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem. They were walking away. They were giving up. It's all over because our master has died. And they put him in a tomb. They crucified him. They beat him. It was a kangaroo court trial. We were chased away and out. Joseph of Arimathea made a place for him, but he's dead. Matthew chapter 28, verse number one said, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, sat upon it, and his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as a dead man. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. He is not here, for he is risen. 
And he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 16, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, and some doubted, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. What's the name of the Father? How do we know that? We know that because Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name. So the Father's name is Jesus. And of the Son. Who's the name of the Son? Jesus, because Jesus is Jesus. And of the Holy Ghost. What's the name of the Holy Ghost? Jesus, because Jesus said, as soon as I am resurrected, I'm going to send my spirit to you. So the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus meets them and he tells them all the grave could not hold him, and because of that, he conquers death. The grave couldn't hold him. Death died the day he arose, and eternal life is before us because he lives. And now, we view death in light of the resurrection. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to die a physical death unless the Lord returns. But now I don't view death the same way because I view it through the resurrection. I view it through Jesus' life. If death came into the world by Adam, then eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. And so I'm not looking at death Adam's way. I'm looking at death Jesus' way. And the day that Jesus arose was the day that death died. <laughs> God brings to us a taste in the present of eternal life, but it's not fully complete. And that is that struggle that we face transitioning from death to life. However, death has emphatically lost its power. For 1 Corinthians that we started with said, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you here today, there's victory in the house because he is risen. There's victory in the house because death couldn't control him. There is victory in the house because the grave couldn't keep him. He is a resurrected Savior. Praise God. Why talk about dead things? We were dead in sins. That's a whole nother discussion. And there's people here that have testimonies. And if you're here in the house of God and you find yourself in, a, in, in the midst of sins, dead in sins, we could talk about those things. We could talk about dead things, dead dreams, things that we wanted to see, things that we were pursuing that are dead. They're lifeless. There's decay and rot. Doesn't seem like there's any way out. We can... We can talk about dead, 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 dead. And our human nature is to talk about things that are dead. We always gravitate toward the negative. We always focus on the negative and the problems. We minimalize things that are big. Hallelujah. 
we take things that are grand and we bring them down to things that are infinitesimal and we focus on dead, 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 dead. But here in the house of God today, I want to focus on life, life, life. If you're dead in sins, God can bring life to you. If you've got dreams that have died, God can resurrect the dreams. If you've got situations that you don't feel like you could ever turn around, there's a resurrected Savior that can turn it around God, as we stand together in the house of God here today. I'm grateful because he lives. I'm grateful that he swallowed death up in victory and that we can give him praise and worship him and say, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you thankful for victory in the house of God today? If you are, why don't you just praise the Lord together? Why don't we conclude this service? With... <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, I need somebody that's really, really thankful to lift up their voice and create an atmosphere for a few moments here in the house of God today. Thanks be to God. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. You're not a God of the dead, but you're a God of the living. Hallelujah. Death died the day that you walked out of a grave and a tomb and a sepulcher and you said all power is in my hand. I took the keys to death, hell, and the grave and I control them. Hallelujah. If you've got a testimony here today, come on, lift up your voice and praise him just for a few moments. Lord, I thank you and praise you. I shouldn't even be here. I was dead in sin and trespasses. I should have been buried six foot deep. But somehow you picked me out of my situation and dysfunction and circumstances and revealed to me that there is a power and a strength and authority. God, who wants to step out today and say, you know what? I want to rejoice today around an altar and talk about life and not talk about death. Praise God. Come on, somebody who wants to say, you know, I'm walking out of this place today on Resurrection Sunday and I'm looking forward. I'm not looking behind me anymore. That, that's, that's, that's too much of a weight. It's too much of a tomb. It's too much of a bondage. I'm not looking behind me anymore. I'm looking forward. Because he lives, I'm looking forward. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Thank him. I thank you, Jesus. Praise God. <laughs> I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know.
because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds a shout of praise for the victory that is accomplished in Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. Praise God. We thank you for our hope that maketh not a shame. Praise God. We thank you for victory in the house of God today. Amen. We pray that your blessing and your anointing and your strength would touch every person that entered into the sanctuary today. Strengthen them today and help us walk all day today knowing that we're walking into the future and life 
not looking backwards into the past and death. We give to you thanks and we praise you and magnify your great, great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God.